You are listening to Fellowship Around the Table. Merry Christmas. Welcome back to another week of Fellowship Around the Table. Week two here with Seth Perry, as we're discussing Athanasius and his book on the Incarnation. Seth, welcome back. Good morning. I appreciate it. You prefer to be called Deacon Seth, right? Don't you ask everybody to call you that? (laughs) (laughs) I really prefer Sir. Sir, okay. Sir Seth. British roots. Were you knighted? Uh Yeah. (laughs) Seth is Deacon here at our church, and you would never know that. That's why I'm because I'm not here. Or... <laughs> oh, goodness. Goodness. That's good. Oh, you're making me laugh pretty hard for 3.30 in the morning. Well, yeah. It's not Early bird goes the, the worm, right? That's right. <laughs> Seth made me meet him up here after he finishes workout, which is at 3 in the morning. <laughs> He's not. <laughs> well, Seth, last week we had a lot of fun talking about that introduction that C.S. Lewis wrote, and it had so many good questions about why read more than just the Bible, church history, why read the classics and the ancient stuff. Thoroughly enjoyed that. And if you haven't checked that out, listeners, I encourage you to go back to that first episode. But today we wanted to help kind of set the time and space, the history, give a little biography, and maybe even talk a little doctrine and the issues that were going on in the church that day. So are you ready, Seth? I'm ready. Let's jump in. Let's talk timeline and historical context for this guy, St. Athanasius. Like I said last week, one of my heroes. When did he live? So St. Athanasius of Alexandria is born about 296 AD. Okay, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> or, right. no, I was thinking CE, common era. Oh, for, you know, goodness. We're going to need politically correct here. to edit that out. <laughs> CE. St. <laughs> Athanasius of Alexandria was born... 296. In the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Anno Domini. <laughs> That's right. yes. There, there yes. it is. Yeah. yeah. And lived about 373. Okay. So That's... people knew him as Athanasius Contramundum. His epitaph. Yes, his epitaph, which is Latin for Athanasius against the world. Mm. Best known for defending Jesus' divinity and the Trinitarian doctrine. 296, 373. One of the things I like to think about is, to kind of give me some context, how many generations did he live post Jesus and the apostles? So John, the final apostle died approximately 100 AD. Yeah. So Athanasius was born about 196 years or six and a half generations later. So for context, the United States is about 250 years old. Wow. Athanasius is actually 50 years closer to the apostles than you and I are to the founding fathers. Wow. That's helpful. So not far away. No, I mean, really, you had some great, great. Is it three greats? Yeah, I don't know. I don't either. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's talk a little bit about a major issue that was going on that day that really is why Athanasius wrote this book, and that is the doctrine of the incarnation and what ties into the doctrine of the Trinity. But maybe let's just start there. This book, On the Incarnation, let's define that word, incarnation. So incarnate is to embody or to put on flesh. The Latin verb means to make flesh. So when we say that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, we mean that the Son of God took on a fleshly bodily form. John one fourteen, right? Yeah. 
Then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And and it's not like, because I think modern secular historians will be like, well, the church didn't even know. They kind of figured these things out and they developed their doctrine about who Jesus was as time went along. And I just, I reject that narrative. The reality is, as has been the case with all of Revelation, it's been progressive and we are just coming to the clear truth of who God is, not changing who God is, right? There's right. a big difference there. But I hear that narrative of a lot that, especially if you study the first couple hundred years, well, they they developed this idea that Jesus was God. No. <laughs> yeah, they were working to understand the reality. The reality of what Scripture said. That's right. Yeah. And so what's that what's at the essence of this big debate and really the leader of the other side, Arian, where we get this term Arianism, which is one of these early heresies that we still have around today. What's their big debate? What are they trying to say here? And what was Athanasius saying? And it seems so subtle mm-hmm. like why fight over it. Right. But there's there's two Greek words that two Oklahomans Probably shouldn't try to pronounce. I'm definitely not going to try. No, I I did try. I have been trying. <laughs> but the, the the first one is similar but not identical in essence or substance, and that's what Arianism is saying. And what Athanasius was fighting for was Jesus, God. It's the same in being, the same in essence. Right. You know, they were wanting to compromise, and Athanasius was. Essentially saying, not one iota. I will not compromise, you know, one letter. <laughs> one letter. Because that is, those two Greek words, the only difference there is an iota, right? Yeah. One, right in the middle. And he's like, not one iota. If you diminish the divinity of Christ at all, you're going to end up in a heresy. And they were. Yeah. And he's right. <laughs> and that's why he's contramundum. That's right. Against the world. And and that is kind of the thing that you won't get from the book, but this Arian idea was growing rapidly throughout the church, and it had a lot of the really political power behind it. And so, you know, as an observer, if you just looked at it, you think, man, that's really where the church is going. That's the idea that they're adopting. That's what they're making sense of this Jesus. And it looked like it was going to win the day. But it's a big enough debate that they're going to have a council. The Council of Nicaea. What what year does that council? That was in 325. Okay. Nicaea was in Bithynia, which okay. is modern day Turkey. And Arius was actually an elder from Alexandria. He was a, he lived about 250 to 336. And the questions actually that were being asked were they were discussing for 150 years before the Council of Nicaea. <laughs> right. So it it's not like some of these things we struggle with are new. I mean, even the church fathers were struggling with how to understand God. It's a big concept. Yeah. <laughs> and the Trinity, right? How, we have the Father, we have the Son, we have the Spirit. They're, over time, they're trying to put a little more human understanding into these things, which are incredibly complex. But you have to be very careful because with even just one iota, you can move into a heresy that's not does not line up with the biblical revelation. So Arianism was saying, you know, yeah, he's he's like the Father. He's similar, but he's not identical in essence or substance. And Athanasius is saying, no, same in being, same in essence. And that's really 
so important to the doctrine of the incarnation. And as he's going to lay out in his argument of why he had to come the way he did for our redemption. And when you take away some measure of his divinity, the whole plan of redemption falls apart. Talk about maybe some modern day cults that exist that really are kind of descendants of that Arianism idea. It's been thoroughly condemned throughout history. Theology may not be the same, but the foundational ideology is that Christ did not always exist. Mm -hmm. kind of the emanations from Arianism. Right. right. It was and, a created being. Yeah. Yeah. And you got three primary movements. One that's gaining popularity in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mm -hmm. Could you pick a longer title? <laughs> That's a lot mouthful. <laughs> I'll go with Mormon. All right, it's much okay. easier. Okay, LDS. Yeah, LDS. Yeah. They also teach that Jesus is the Son of God and that He is fully divine, but not always eternal. There's that. There's that move. That just that iota move away. Just right? giving a little bit. Yeah. So in this view, Jesus was created, and Jesus and Satan are brothers. There you go. It's almost that idea. You have to have a yin and yang. Mm. And then perhaps the. Most popular example of modern-day Arianism is the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, okay. which we know typically as Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm -hmm. So just like the Arians of old, they believe that Jesus was a created being. Yeah. Funny story. I sometimes have to ask my wife for the appropriate things to do and say. No. I know. It's, yeah, it's so unusual. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I ask her, I just call him Jay Wee's. Because I like to truncate everything. Yeah, you if, you, if you can I cut like out that. syllables, you're you're better off. And she looked at me like, you're a jerk. It's like, no, I, I'm not being mean. I just, it's less to say if I say Jay Wee. And she's like, don't, please don't. Please don't, please don't do ever that. do that. <laughs> <laughs> so I do not call them Jay Wees. Okay. And the third movement that often falls in Arianism is modernism. That may seem shocking, but when carried to its logical conclusion, it denies the divinity of Christ. Yep. So it started in the 19th century by elevating human reason as the judge of all. Human reason is a great gift from God, but modernist theologians started denying the inerrancy of Scripture, the virgin birth, the resurrection, and the divinity of Christ. Yep. So you I might know. as well just throw away the Bible right. at that point. Right? I know. So John Shelby, who is a modernist Episcopal bishop, writes, the virgin birth tradition of the New Testament is not literally true. It should not be literally believed. There you go. You move that doctrine, that truth, one iota today in a moment, and you look down 100 years and you're 100 miles apart. Yeah. A helpful advice I got early on in my faith, just showing a pattern of cults and how they drift from the true revelation of who Jesus is, is you see this pattern. They change the word of God. They add to it. They take away from it. They edit it. They do something like that. And all three of these are doing that. They the watchtower has their own stuff. The Latter-day Saints has a new, new Testament. Modernists deny all of the supernatural in the Bible. And so they change the word of God. And when you change the word of God, you're going to change the son of God. You're going to change who Jesus is. And then really the third fallout of that, that's really just sad is when you change those two things. And when you change who Jesus is, you change the gospel. Ugh, breaks you my heart. End up making it about yourself. Oh yeah. If you're driving say a thousand miles and you're off 
Uh, just one degree. What what difference does that does that make? Oh, it's not a big deal. It's just one degree. It's just one iota, Seth. Yeah, it's just one I- iota. But I mean, you end up having a religion that's about you, hmm. and you make it to be a works based religion. Yeah, I'm going to read right out of our doctrinal statement of our church on this very point. At FBC, we believe in one God, eternally existing in three equal persons: Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How Jesus is able to be both man and God simultaneously is one of the great mysteries of Christianity, but is nevertheless a test of orthodoxy. Jesus has two distinct natures, divine and human. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, John fourteen eleven. He was very clear about his nature. Yeah, and this is one of those deep doctrines that, you know, honestly, we accept by faith. We take it as he said it, we believe it to be true. And we will spend eternity trying to understand that truth. And sometimes we get in error when we try to overdefine and say what God did not say. <laughs> right? Yeah, I don't think there's much to add to that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so we kind of see the argument now, and, and that will set the reader up to read on the incarnation because Athanasius is going to walk through in detail on what the Bible has to say. And that's one of the cool things, and we'll point this out. He quotes the Bible over and over from so many books throughout the Bible, making the case for this doctrine and not giving up that iota that Jesus is of the same essence and being of the Father. All right, so you were talking about this Council of Nicaea, Seth, in 325, and this is going to be one of the hotly debated things. The Arianism was growing. In fact, one of the things about Arian that a lot of people don't, may not know is kind of interesting is to kind of spread his idea and his explanation of who Jesus was. He wrote a lot of songs and passed them, passed that through in, in limericks and rhymes and songs. <laughs> it's powerful. Music is powerful. Yeah, nobody does that today. No, do no, not at all. <laughs> so this is gaining. And why we say Athanasius against the world it was gaining in a lot of the more politically powerful places within the church in the cities that held some of the political power. And so as an outsider, it looks like Arians win in the day, but we come to the council. And so you talked about this council, who all came to this council? Why did, who called for this council and who was there? Most of us know that at least at some point in, in Christian history, the church was persecuted by Rome yes. and they were trying to eradicate Christianity. Yeah. And Constantine took a different approach. He said, okay, yeah. well, maybe we can't get rid of them <laughs> this way. So pragmatically, he called the council to try and bring people together. And so Constantine actually wrote a letter that said, my design then was first to bring the diverse judgments found by all nations respecting the deity to a condition, as it were, of settled uniformity. That is to clarify doctrine for the sake of the church and second, to restore a healthy tone to the system of the world, then suffering under the power of grievous disease. That is to end religious strife for the sake of the empire. Sounds like a politician. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Spoken well. Oh, my goodness. I, I know there's story of Constantine's conversion, but mm-hmm. he also had a, a country, a world to lead. Yes. <laughs> I think he was trying to bring them together. Yeah. And so he calls this council which was actually – Nicaea was nearest to his military headquarters. Okay. So that's kind of the, maybe one of the reasons for why that location was chosen. Yeah. 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 And actually, I didn't know this, but 1,800 bishops were invited, about 1,000 from the east and 800 in the west. Wow. 
That's pretty cool. We've got some different counts. So let's see if I get the names correct. Eusebius counted about 250, Athanasius 318, and then Eustadius was about 270. So I think one thing we can tell from the numbers is that these were men of letters. They yeah. were clearly not mathematicians. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> because we got some pretty vast counts there. But I mean, travel wasn't easy in that time. But no. about 1,800 invited, looks somewhere in the range of around 300 show up. But it's not just 300 men, right? About 20% of the people showed up, and these yeah. were the church fathers. Yeah. So they were leadership across the, the known world. Right. And they provided free travel and lodging. Okay. And each bishop could bring two priests and three deacons. Okay. And Athanasius actually at the time was a deacon. Just like you, Seth. Just like me. That's right. Maybe I'm going to get invited somewhere. <laughs> free lodging and travel. Yeah, free lodging. Yeah, and it actually reminds me of the Paul and Barnabas and Timothy. Yeah, the elder of Alexandria takes Athanasius with him, who they had grown close and he had seen potential in Athanasius. From yeah. an early childhood. Yeah. It was fiery for the faith. Right. Against the world. Against the world. <laughs> <laughs> and what should be clear about the Council of Nicaea is that the results of the deliberations were decisive in every way. That's right. They were not giving up one iota. iota. And going in, I think, like, if you had the betting markets and you saw the odds and Arian and his kind of political power and the people that were kind of accepting Arian idea of, oh, yeah. Jesus, he's like the Father. He's a similar substance, but he but he had a beginning. <laughs> he's created. You know, that looked like it was winning the day. So going into this council, I think most people thought, well, this is kind of what they're going to come out with and all agree on and compromise, you know. Yeah, I wouldn't have put my money on Athanasius. Yeah, but at the end of the day, they didn't give up one iota. So it was pretty cool. In fact, if you get into the weeds of that council, they – they spent a lot of time together and they actually, a majority of their time, because you can go read kind of their pronouncements, you know, these things that we all agree on. That was the, that's the big one that, that everybody remembers. There's a lot that deal with the discipline in a local church, which is still a subject. I think I wouldn't even say we struggle with it in the U S it's rare. <laughs> Yes. Does it even exist? I mean, the idea that uh, the leadership of a local church would discipline somebody, <laughs> just somebody would be like, I'm just pack my bags I'm and go down leave. the street. Yeah. But they did a lot of that. And I think it's something you see in Paul's writing, like as he was trying to help the Corinthian church discipline its members that were struggling. And the, the extreme example of the guy sleeping with his father's wife, he says, hey, set him outside the camp, basically referring to the old covenant. He needs to be judged. He needs to face discipline. And you'll see they work through several of these questions of what if the person does this? What if a person does this? And a lot of their prescriptions were to basically set them outside camp for a time and let the, let the Lord discipline them for repentance, for, to bring them back in. But it, I just find that part fascinating. That part's never really talked about, but that's actually you know, just something they like a practical thing that they were struggling with. How do we do this in a local church? Well, and they were they were living out John thirteen mm. by this they by your love for one another they will know me essentially. Yeah. yeah, and I think you had the the church leadership and the congregation committed to fellowship. Yeah, and part of that commitment is love and discipline. So a little Christmas trivia out of those three hundred plus. Elders that showed up, 
There's a little bit of a famous one that people might be interested this time of the year. Who else was there? Somebody, to, you might, uh, somebody to do with stockings, possibly. Stockings, okay. Yeah, yeah. Bells, Who could you be talking possibly? about? Yeah, so St. Nick is a real person. Hard to believe. Hard to believe. And before Macy's, he was at the Council of Nicaea. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> so he was born in a part of Greece that is now a Turkey to rich parents who died in an epidemic when he became a believer. He sold everything he owned and gave it to the poor. Mm. And then he became Bishop of Myra, which is also formerly Greece. Bishop elder. Yeah. Same word. Yep. Yeah. And he was actually in prison for his faith Mm. and released just in time to attend the council of Nicaea. Prison for their faith. That's another thing that I wanted to point out that the stories as these men gathered and you said, you know, the, the Rome had just, started with Constantine starting accepting Christianity. You don't see my air quotes there, you know, let it, letting it tolerate, but it had been persecuted in prior generations and prior years heavily. And the stories of these elders showing up at this meeting, missing eyes, missing limbs, missing fingers because of the persecution for their faith. And St. Nick is one of those. Nicholas here had been in prison, had been released in time to come to Nicaea, but keep talking about him. In the, you know, the stockings were probably real. Okay. So he did give his money away and he gave it to widows and, and people in need. Orphans. Yeah. Orphans, yeah. And so the story goes that they would actually hang a stocking on the outside of their their door or their house and he would come by and he would drop coins in it. <laughs> I love it's that. just just amazing. I know. It's so cool. And the legend lives on, apparently. It does. Yeah. Maybe just a little more biography on Athanasius uh, as we wrap up this week. And next week, we're going to actually get into the book, kind of laid out the the history here and why kind of Athanasius felt the need to write this apologetic. Yeah, next week, we'll, we'll roll into that. But a little more about him. He was born in Alexandria, Egypt, which is the largest city on the Mediterranean, founded by a guy you might have heard of, Alexander the Great, about 331 BC. Alexander the Great. The Great. And Alexandria became the cultural city of the Hellenistic world until it was sacked by the Muslim conquest of Egypt in 641. Okay. It possessed intellectual leaders from paganism, Hellenistic Judaism, and Christianity. And of course, it's best known for its library that unfortunately burned, burned to the ground. I want, I want to see that so bad. Yeah. I'm so curious about Just it. What was lost? I know. <laughs> Clearly, the plans for the pyramids were in there, right? <laughs> oh, no. yes, yes. <laughs> and then you might have heard of someone else that was born in Alexandria, Apollos. Ah, so from our New Testament. That really, you said it, the Hellenistic Judaism, but like because the library was there, it was an intellectual center even for Judaism. And Apollos being there, he's the guy that shows up in Paul's ministry where he was basically accurately teaching about the Christ, not yet knowing he had come, is so amazing to me. Yes. <laughs> but back to Athanasius. Educated at Christian school. Okay. Deacon at 23. Mm, he beat you there. So. Oh, significantly <laughs> beat me. Bloody eye here. <laughs> By Bishop Alexander, yep. whom he assisted at the Council of Nicaea. Right. So Athanasius actually became the bishop at 31, despite the canonical age being 35, because Alexander died. Yeah. And he served for 46, 46 years. years. And there was a lot of controversy about him. Looks like being made bishop before their prescribed age at that time. And I think it was a hotly contested vote, but 
he had been serving in that city and in that leadership a long time. Yeah, and had been at the Council of Nicaea, and yep. you know, again back to that. Paul and Barnabas and Timothy had been trained yeah. by somebody, and Alexander, who was loved as a, as it seems, and was pretty adamant that Athanasius take take over for yes. him. He endured false charges ranging yeah. from witchcraft to murder. He spent seventeen years away from home during five separate exiles, largely brought on by opponents of the Nicene Creed. Isn't that crazy? You think, oh, he won the day, won his argument, he goes back, gets to be elder, and everything's peachy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no. False charges, ran out and, and exiled five times in his Somebody life. would not let that go, would right? they? And it didn't go away. Arianism didn't just disappear overnight. It's going to, over time, actually gain some more power. But the truth is going to win out. And the Lord always has his remnant holding fast to the word of God. Amen. Yeah. So Athanasius wrote three books, okay. actually, three main, main books. The Life of St. Anthony, which was to spread monasticism across Europe. Okay. On the Incarnation, which we're going to talk about next week. Mm-hmm. And then Against the Arians, mm. which argues for the full deity of Jesus. He was not created by the Father, but co-equal and co-eternal. So his Easter letter of 367 actually is believed to be the first recorded document that recognizes the 27 New Testament books that we have today. There's a possibility that Origen, another early church father, beat him. Beat him to it. But he he clearly is using all 27 books and yeah. quoting from him. And you'll see in his book, I'm going to show the audience how many times he quotes the Bible, and especially those New Testament letters, as he's defending the doctrine of the Incarnation and the Trinity. Mm. One final quote here. Again, just his obsession with Jesus and the, oh, the yeah. deity of Jesus. Yeah. Even on the cross, he did not hide himself from sight. Rather, he made all creation witness to the presence of its maker. Mm. Amen. Amen. Talk about it's turning amazing. defeat into victory. Oh. <laughs> Good stuff. All right. Next week, we're going to crack open this book and... I think we've helped everybody kind of with the, the historical context. And next week, we'll just crack open this book and get after it. And you'll see just, I think you'll see Athanasius's passion. I hope so. <laughs> All right. We'll see you next week. All right. Looking forward to it. Thanks for joining Fellowship Around the Table. If you would like to learn more, go to fbctulsa.org. So is it pulling in Habakkuk feeds? From? His tweets. (laughs) It's a post now, not a tweet. Oh, no. (laughs) Sorry, Elon.